I've been visiting the, the US regularly now for a couple of years, and so one of the things I've had to start doing is learning how to drive on your side of the road. And I've discovered that learning to drive is one thing. That's in, you know, that takes a bit of work. But once you've learned to drive, everything becomes second nature. You kind of don't have to think about it. You, you sort of do, but you don't. Things are instinctive. But then when you start driving on the other side of the road for the first time, you realize that all of your instincts are wrong now. And so as I've been trying to drive in the US, I keep reaching for a gear stick that isn't there. Uh, every time I go around a corner and want to put my blinker on, I, I, I seem to have the windows wiping instead. Things are in the wrong place. Uh, it's been a couple of times when I've driven out into a road and I've just driven off on the, the left-hand side and I've been driving along quite happily and then I've seen a car coming straight towards me and I'm thinking, one of us isn't right here. I'm in America, I'm on the left-hand side, I think I should be the one who moves. Uh, thankfully, no one has, has yet been injured by my driving. But it's just interesting that all of those instincts are now the wrong way round. All my intuitions are wrong. I've got to consciously keep thinking, no, 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 driving on the right, driving on the right. And there's something similar going on in the letter to the Galatians. Uh, in the first couple of chapters, Paul has been stressing over and over again that what he's been preaching, what he's been about, is God's gospel. And he contrasts it to man's gospel. So look at what he says in chapter 1, verse 11. Uh, Paul says, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. He goes on in verse 12, For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul is saying, listen, the message I preached, I didn't, I didn't get it from anyone else. No other person on this, on this planet gave it to me. It has all come to me from God through Jesus Christ. And therefore, it is not man's gospel, it's God's gospel. Paul says it's unique. It's like nothing else you will ever hear anywhere. It's not what we would come up with. And that is what Paul means when he talks about it not being man's gospel. By man's gospel, Paul is referring to the way all of us end up thinking, always. Left to our own devices, if we're thinking about God, life, eternity, heaven and hell, the gospel of man, man's gospel, is what we come up with every single time. It looks a little different here and there between this belief system and, and that religion, but it always has the same basic idea. It's the way all of us are wired to think the universe works. We assume it's down to us that wherever we need to get to when we die, it's down to us to get ourselves there. That is the way we think. That is the gospel of man. We clothe it up in different practices and customs and rules and regulations, but it's always the same idea. I've got to be the one who nails it. I've got to sort this out. I've got to get myself there. But Paul has been preaching the gospel of God, and it is totally different. Uh, we would never, ever, ever have come up with this. Because the gospel of God tells us 
that God loves to give the very best things he has to give to people who deserve nothing. God loves to do that. It's not just that God can do that and so now he feels he ought to. God loves to give his greatest gifts to people who deserve nothing from him. That is what fires his heart. To people who deserve nothing, to people who've never deserved anything, to people who would never deserve anything. And all we can do is receive the everything God has to give us with open arms, which is what Paul calls faith. Simply receiving from God what we do not deserve and could never earn ourselves. And yet, the gospel of man is so baked into us that even when we've believed the gospel of God, it's so easy for us to turn it back into the gospel of man. Like reverting back to your old way of driving, you've just got the hang of driving on this new side of the road, and yet every now and then you start launching off on the wrong side. All the old reflexes kick back in. And so to continue in the gospel of God takes thinking. We've got to be conscious of it. It goes against so many of our intuitions. And what the Galatians have been doing is reverting back to the gospel of man. And it means they're spiritually driving on the wrong side of the road. And sooner or later, there's going to be a collision. Now, again, in Galatia, the way they were doing it then is different to how perhaps we would do it. Their way of going back to the gospel of man was to get the law of Moses from the Old Testament and to start trying to do the law of Moses. And they were thinking, listen, if we can nail the law of Moses, then we've nailed Christianity. So they were trying to obey all the commands. They were, were getting people circumcised according to the Old Testament law. And I'm guessing that particular approach isn't maybe the, the biggest danger for us in, in Northern Virginia. Um, I've not heard of community groups at this church where people are kind of secretly circumcising each other and trying to obey the law of Moses, refusing pork at the potluck dinners and that kind of stuff. That, not be, that may not be the way we would go back to the gospel of man. But we have the very same danger. The very same danger of doing what they were doing in Galatia. Instinctively turning the gospel of God into the gospel of man. And it's easy for us to get into the mindset where we think, okay, these things are what the Christian life looks like, so as long as I'm doing these things, I'm nailing Christianity. And it turns Christianity again into being all about me and what I am doing. So Paul is writing in this letter to get back on the other side of the road, the safe side. Get back to the gospel of God. So have a look with me at verse 1 of, of Galatians 3. Uh, oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Um, I remember just thinking about how it must have been when they first received this letter from Paul. Can you imagine the news going around? Hey, Paul's written a letter to us. You can imagine how excited they would have been. This is, this is not, you know, there's a new series on Netflix that's really good. This is, hey, there's a new bit of the Bible 
And it's written to us. It's actually addressed to us. And you can imagine the guys going, well, is it, hey, is it, is it addressed to our region or is it, is it addressed to us? And they're going, no, no, it's addressed to the churches of Galatia. And you can imagine them going, Galatia is in the Bible. Our place is in the Bible. For the rest of forever now, God's people are going to know about us. Isn't that cool? Imagine if Del Rey was now in the Bible forever. So let's, you can imagine, say, well, let's, let's see what, what Paul says to us, what the whole rest of the Christian world forevermore is going to know about us. And they're reading through it, they get to chapter 3, verse 1. And Paul says, you idiots. <laughs> you absolute idiots. And Paul is saying to them, listen, are you guys for real? He says, who's bewitched you? Has, has someone been messing with your minds? Paul is saying to them, listen, what you are doing is so stupid. You've turned the gospel of God into stuff that we do. And so in the rest of these verses, Paul shows how that just goes against the grain of real Christianity. He starts by saying it goes against the grain of what you've already known as Christian believers. He gets them to look back over their own Christian lives. So he says in verse 1, listen, it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. He reminds them of where they've come from and how they've come to faith. And it's amazing, Paul says, you guys, you saw Jesus crucified. Before your eyes, Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Now, Paul isn't speaking literally. He didn't turn up to Galatia with a flip chart and a packet of Sharpies and start doing a kind of Pictionary on the death of Jesus. No, Paul is saying that as the message of Jesus was preached, it came home to them with such vividness. They realized that this death, this stricken, crushed person, that this death was for them. So much so that it was as if they were there in front of it when it was happening. In the eyes of their heart, they could see Jesus' death for them. That's amazing, isn't it? That's what happens when we preach the gospel. Many of us will have people that we know who we wish could see Jesus. And Paul is showing that what they need is to hear the message of the death of Jesus and for God to open the eyes of their heart. I'm sure we can all think of people near and dear to us where we, we long that they would see Jesus portrayed as crucified, that they would see in their hearts what that is and what it means. Maybe some of us here this morning are still trying to figure out where we are in relation to the Christian faith. Well, look at the death of Jesus. That is the heart of it all. And maybe many of us as believers need a fresh vision of Jesus Christ this morning. We need to see Jesus publicly portrayed as crucified. Well, these Christians in Galatia, they had seen it. 
They had seen the death of Jesus in all its reality for them. And yet now they were denying it. Not in their official church doctrine, they hadn't changed their their statement of belief. But in their church culture, in their practice, they were denying the death of Jesus. Paul says in in verse 2, he says, let me ask you only this. And actually then asks them a ton of questions. But the only this is showing that actually, as far as Paul is concerned, there's just, listen, I've got one issue for you guys to think about. And he raises that one issue with a load of quick questions, but it's all basically saying the same thing. Did you get to where you are because of what you've been doing or because of what Christ has done for you? So verse 2, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? It's an amazing thing, friends, isn't it? That actually as we come to know God through Jesus Christ, God puts something of himself in our own hearts. God gives us his own spirit to change us from the inside. And so Paul is saying to these Christians, listen, did you do that by yourself? Did you achieve the Holy Spirit by yourself? You know, is Christianity like a video game and you get to a certain level and then you unlock the Holy Spirit? Is that how it works? Is that what you did? No, you heard the message of the gospel and you believed it. You heard with faith. That's how you receive the Spirit. Verse 3, Paul continues, Are you so foolish? And again, you can imagine that the Galatian Christians squirming, going, Paul, can you just, you know, other people are going to be hearing this in years to come, you know. But Paul says, are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? You know, when we become Christians, we, we are overwhelmed with how much we need Jesus Christ. And so we, we gladly submit to him and say, Jesus, please take the controls. I'm doing a lousy job of running my life. You're going to do an amazing job of running my life. From now on, I'm following you in this. And yet the Galatians have done that, and yet now they're sort of saying, Jesus, I I think we can take it from here now. I think we're good now. I think I'll, I'll be all right holding the controls again. Or verse 4, Paul says, just think of all you've been through. The things that you've suffered, what has kept you going? Has it been you or has it been God keeping you? Or verse 5, think of all you have seen God do among you. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? So Paul says, just think of your life together as the people of God. Think of those incredible answers to prayer that you've seen and experienced. Think of the conversions that you've seen. Think of the lives God has put back together, the relationships God has restored, the marriages God has saved. Even the miracles that may have occurred among you. Paul is saying, listen, Think about all of those things. Do you thank God for those things, or does God thank you for those things? Who's ultimately behind them? 
Did those things happen because you took enough spiritual protein shakes and just willed yourself to get there yourselves? Now again, Paul says, these things happened because you, you were hearing with faith. It's because you trusted God. It's not because you were such awesome Christians, God just had to do amazing things among you. That's because you lent on him. You trusted him, you listened to him, you believed him. And friends, that is all we can do. We can do nothing without God. And so the whole of the Christian life really is hearing with faith. It's believing what God says and continuing to believe what God says. God really shouldn't love me. But he does. Not because of what I'm like, he loves me because of what he's like. And that is what we forget when we change Christianity back into the gospel of man. It suddenly becomes about me and not about him. So Paul says, just remember your own Christian life because your own Christian life up until now is a contradiction of the gospel of man. But then he says, let's think about Abraham. Let's bring Abraham out as our kind of special witness. So verse 6, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. See, so let's, let's think about Abraham and see what we can learn from him. And Abraham's not just a, a kind of random Old Testament guy who Paul wheels out. There's a particular reason Paul is using Abraham. Uh, we read a bit from uh, Genesis 12 earlier on. Uh, somebody said it a bit like this. If, if you think of Genesis 1 to 11, it's being a bit like the opening crawl of a Star Wars movie. It's the kind of setting the wider scene, telling you what's been happening, setting things up for where the story begins. And Abraham is like the beginning of the main storyline of the Bible. God calls Abraham, and how God treats Abraham becomes defining of how God treats everyone. So if you want to know how things work with God, look at Abraham. And the Galatians were going, yes, Abraham's going to prove our point. And Paul is saying, no, he's not. So have a look with me at verse verse 9. Paul says, so then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Or verse 6, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. What did Abraham do? He believed. He had faith. He was the man of faith. He wasn't the man of achievement. He believed God. God turned up with a set of amazing promises. And Abraham believed him. And that believing God is credited to him in verse 6 as righteousness. Abraham was not naturally righteous. Abraham was a complete pagan. 
He wasn't brimming with spiritual potential, and that's why God chose him. He had no righteousness of his own. And even after he became a believer, Abraham was still a mess. He was given a righteousness that is not his own. All Abraham had to do was to trust God. And that's the same for all of us. And that's Paul's point. Any of us can get in on this. That's what he's saying in verse 7. He says, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Okay, we could be children of Abraham. We don't have to be part of his physical lineage. To be part of the, faith, uh, the family of Abraham, you just need to have the faith of Abraham. That is the likeness you need. You don't need to have his, his eye color or his hairline or his, his nose or whatever it might be. You just have to share his faith. And friends, that is such good news for us precisely because Abraham messed so much stuff up. And his life is a reminder to us that the very weakest of us can come to God as we are and receive his blessing and his promises, even though we do not deserve it. So Abraham is not an example of, hey, yeah, God gives you a helping hand to start out with, but from then on you take responsibility and you become the kind of person who obeys your way into God's good books. Now, Abraham was a mess, but he was a mess who trusted God. He was a mess that God loved. He was a mess that God was with. Well, in the next few verses, Paul kind of widens the the lens and says, it's not just Abraham, actually. You guys think that you're doing the right thing by trying to obey the law and making that the focus of your faith, but actually the law shows us that that's not what we're supposed to do. Paul is saying, listen, it is ridiculous to think the center of the Christian life is about what I do. And he says, "You you will never pull it off. So verse 10, for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. It's written, curse be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. So Paul's saying, listen, if you're going to go down that route, if you're going to make obedience the basis of your Christian life, you've got to be perfect. You've got to be all in on that. You've got to put all of your chips on that point. You've got to obey everything. The pass mark is 100%. If you're going to keep the law, you've got to keep all of it. And no one has. Verse 10, all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. If that's what you're banking on, Well, you're hopeless. 
Actually, part of the point of the law is to show us that we can't keep it. Um, I don't know what, how kind of going to the dentist works here in the States, but back home when I go and visit the dentist, one of the things they'll do is they'll sort of ask me about my, my dental routine, so I'll, I'll pretend I have a dental routine and talk through all the, all the stuff that I supposedly do every day uh, for my teeth. And then at some point, they'll kind of listen to your routine and regimen and, and kind of go, oh, that sounds very good. Let's just give you this cup of pink goo to, to swirl around your mouth for a bit because that will show up the plaque and dirt on your teeth and then we'll really know what shape your mouth is in. And you think, oops, maybe I should have probably just brushed my teeth before coming here. That would have been a sensible thing to do. But that's what it does. It shows up all the mess in your teeth. It shows up all the dirt, all the plaque. You gurgle it, spit it out, and then the dentist knows what's really going on. And that's part of the the role of, of the law in the Old Testament, is to show up the sin in our hearts. As we try and obey the law, we realize, do you know what, this is not me. I'm nothing like this. This is, I can't be that guy. And so even the law is to show us that we need to trust God and not ourselves. So verse 11, Paul says, Now, it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. This is this is something you can see. It's evident. For the righteous shall live by faith. That was the kind of theme tune of the Old Testament. We live by faith. We live by continuing to trust God. It has always been about trusting what God does for us, not what we do for him. So verse 12, But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. The death of Jesus is for us. The sign of disobedience in the Old Testament, the sign that you were under a curse by not obeying God, is that you were hung on a tree. And that is what has happened to Jesus. They stuck him on a piece of wood. Jesus came under a curse. And Paul is saying the curse Jesus came under is the curse that you and I naturally deserve. He comes under the curse we have earned so that we can receive the blessing that he deserves because Jesus was perfect. It's hard for us to imagine this, but just imagine a life where there was never once any disobedience to God. Where his heart was always inclined towards his heavenly Father. Where he only ever did and thought and said what was right and pleasing to God. A life of perfection that was given... For those of us who never would be able to have a life of perfection, we deserve the curse. And Jesus takes that curse on our behalf so that we can receive the blessings that he deserves. Verse 14, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessings of Abraham 
might come to the Gentiles, that's us, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. All that we receive from God, we receive through faith in Christ. The blessing of being counted righteous, of being in a right relationship with God, the the gift of God's Spirit, all of it comes through faith in Christ. So Paul is saying, listen, the whole Bible shows us this. It has never been about what we can do. That is not our focus. That is not our trust. And again, it's why Christianity is so different to anything else we will ever come across. But the danger is we turn Christianity into, hey, if I do this and this and this and this, then I'm fine. And Paul is saying it is no longer Christianity when you do that. Um, I had lunch a while ago with a, a guy at my church who is in sales for a, a company. And he was, he was in a bad way. He had just a, a few weeks previously closed a huge deal with a new client had been given a bonus. And I said, oh, gee, kind of must make you feel great, mustn't it? And he says, well, it did for a bit, but you're only as good as your last deal in my work. And so what matters now is not the deal I've just done, but the next one. I'm only as good as the last deal. Those who are professional Sports folks will tell you, you're only as good as your last win. Actors will tell us, you're only as good as your last role. That's just the way the world works. And so it's very easy for us as Christians to think, you know what, I'm only as good as my last quiet time. I'm only as good as my last attendance at the community group. I'm only as good as my last... Sunday service that I came to. I'm only as good as the last time I I resisted a moment of temptation. I'm only as good as the last evangelistic opportunity I took up and made the most of. And we boil our entire Christianity down into the gospel of man. So someone says to you, hey, how's, how's your Christian life going? And if you're like me, your mind immediately thinks through, what am I doing at the moment? How productive am I being as a Christian? How, how's my obedience going? How's my Christian performance? Friends, the gospel of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, tells me and it tells you you are only as good as your saviour. So let me ask you again, how is your Christian life going? Because if you're trusting your saviour, hey, your Christian life's going great.
But if we're tempted to think, actually, this whole Christian life is such a hassle. I just can't do all of this stuff. That's a sign we've turned the gospel of God back into the gospel of man. We're, we're driving on the other side of the road again. Paul says to them, it was before your eyes that Christ Jesus was publicly portrayed as crucified. Friends, we need to continue to see Jesus Christ publicly portrayed as crucified. We need to keep looking at him. We need to keep looking to his death. We need to keep hearing with faith the promises God makes to us on the basis of the death of Christ. Because the gospel of God is that he loves, God loves to give the, the greatest things he has to give to people who will never deserve those things. And the way in is the way on. We begin with God by receiving with faith. We continue with God by receiving with faith. Let me pray. Our Father, we thank you that Paul proclaimed and your Spirit inspired him to write letters about the gospel of God. Father, we praise you that that gospel of God has been made known to us, that we have been awakened to its truth that we have come to hear of a Christ who has come to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. That we've come to hear of a God who loves to bless those who deserve nothing from him. Father, as we think back to how we first received and grew up in that gospel, we pray that we would continue as we began that we would keep hearing with faith, that we would keep seeing the death of Jesus for us, that we would keep trusting you and looking to him. Father, please forgive us when we make our Christianity about us and what we're doing and what we can do or what we can't do. Help it always to be about faith in Jesus Christ. And Father, we pray these things not in our own names. We wouldn't dare to do that. We pray in the name of the one who became a curse for us, in the name of the one in whom we experience and receive all of your good gifts and blessings. As we pray, we ask that we would also live in the name of Jesus. Amen.